What's up, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of Chatter Up, episode 10. How about that, huh? Big milestone, 10. Thanks for sticking with us through 10, guys. It is an honor and a privilege to be here. We're glad you're here. This week, we have another great jam-packed episode, of course, with your hosts, Bobby Rubin, and the reigning, defending, undisputed champion of the world, the co-host of co-hosts, a monster among men, Jared Wiesel. J-Man, what's going on, dude? I am doing well. How are you, Bobby? You're fresh off of your July 4th uh, vacation getaway. Batteries are recharged. Are you ready to go? I have never been more ready in my life. We'll do another What Did I Miss segment where we take a look at the past headlines from the past week that we missed. We'll do some more fun and games. We'll take a look at this week in sports history, and we have a great interview for you guys with Jeremy Brown, who is a scout for Perfect Game. Jared, are you ready? I'm ready to bring it for episode 10. Then let's bring it, and let's chatter up. Another week, another time where sports is almost coming back. I mean, racing's back. European soccer's kind of back. You into any of this? UFC, I think. UFC, I know that's true. That's, you're into that. Uh, I'm not, but summer camp, and I mean spring training part two is back, so that means we're pretty close, right? Very true. The NFL season hasn't been delayed yet. The NHL and the NBA seem to be coming back. And so with all this happening, once again, we've missed a bunch of things, so let's recap. Jared, what did I miss this past week? So we're talking about sports coming back, and we are seemingly getting closer to that. But as we do, more and more players are now opting out of their upcoming seasons. And we've seen some pretty big names. David Price recently opted out, and I think that that's going to cost him $12 million, which is pretty crazy. Felix Hernandez, DeAndre Jordan, Ian Desmond, Ryan Zimmerman, a bunch of names, notable names, have opted out. What do you make of it, Bobby? I think it is emblematic of what's going to happen in sports for the next, honestly, what seems right now for like a year from now. I mean, just that people are starting to reopen up states and, and, you know, you look at Florida and they have the highest single day total ever, 50,000 cases. And these are athletes. They're paid a lot of money to do what they do, not taking that away, but a lot of them are citing their health and their family's health and not wanting to subject them to that. And, how can you say that that's wrong? Are any of these guys like the top of the top? I mean, Ian Desmond was an all-star. DeAndre Jordan is an all-star. These guys are, are, are great players and they're choosing to not play for, for a lot of health reasons. Do I think it's wrong? No. These, they're human beings. I mean, they have to do what's right. If they're prepared to take a pay cut for that, then okay. Yeah, this is one of the few areas where we can actually – compare ourselves to like professional athletes because as as different as they are from us they you're right they're human beings and they have like the same considerations that we have to make in terms of their own health the health of their families like it's pretty crazy to see Mike Trout uh, who's undisputed the best player in baseball and, and he's there he's at at summer camp for the Angels but it's still very much undecided on on whether he's going to play or not because he has a pregnant wife and and it's it's kind of interesting to see them have to grapple with the what, what the consequences of playing are again, versus not playing. And it's, you know, I, I'm interested to see what, what happens if, if someone like Mike Trout opts out. 
Yeah. I mean, do you cancel the season? I think probably not. You know, I, I do think, as I've told you in previous episodes, that I don't really think a lot of these seasons make it to their final game, no matter what it is. Maybe the NFL does because it's much later, but we're seeing the effects of this virus everywhere. And exactly as people have predicted, you know, it's coming back. It's coming back with a vengeance. And it's here for a while until we find a vaccine. So I don't know, but I don't blame any of these guys. And I understand it. And I can empathize with that. In a move to try and adjust according to what's happening, the NFL has cut its preseason games to two instead of four. Any issues with this? Definitely no issues with it. You know, preseason, it's funny. Everyone gets excited for, like, the Hall of Fame game. Great, football's back. And then you watch it for the first two minutes, and you're like, oh, right, it's preseason. I I really don't care about this at all. I I do think it could have – and let's just assume the season actually happens on time. Otherwise, this is not even worth talking about. But if it does, I think there could be some effect in terms of, you know, teams really don't play their starters – they probably only play them, a, what, a couple of quarters out of the four preseason games. And I think you can, you've seen the last few years with, with the new CBA, the impact that it has. I really think it takes probably four or five weeks of the NFL season for teams to really get on track because they really don't play in the preseason. And I wonder if having only two games changes that in one direction or the other. Do, they, do Are teams more likely to play their guys in the second preseason game, or do they just sit them out altogether and, and pretty much just forfeit preseason? Yeah, and and also on that end, if you don't want to risk your player because you're afraid, well, what if he contracts the coronavirus? Like, we want to limit exposure as much as possible. Do you just sit your star quarterback for every, you know, maybe they play one drive's worth in the first or second preseason game and just say, okay, we're going to roll the dice with Patrick Mahomes after having one drive and just, okay, I trust him. He's going to do it. I think it would be really interesting to see how the stars are handled here. Yeah, and it's, it's I mean, good for the fans, I guess, right? Because the fans are going to be in the building anyway, and it's always, I always find it ridiculous that the fans are forced to pay, like, full-price tickets for preseason games that, that mean nothing. So, good for the fans, I guess, that you don't have to pay for this garbage and have to go out to, you know, here would be, like, the Meadowlands and watch games that you don't care about. Absolutely. Totally agree. I think it's, it's good for the fans and maybe good for the NFL. I don't know. So sticking with this theme of coronavirus, which I guess we could say for the last four months we've been doing, Penn State football coach James Franklin this week came out and said he's planning to coach his team this season. And as part of that, he does not plan to see his family until January. And that's, you know, a decision, I guess, to keep his family safe, balancing his responsibilities as coach of the Penn State football team and as a dad and and a a husband. I, I don't know really where to go with this is this just is this like the craziest thing you've heard in the last few months it's a guy who's so devoted to his job and his craft that he's going to put everything else aside i think again if we if we look at these guys like human beings like that's crazy (laughs) you know it's 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 a guy who's putting his job so far above everything else but like i'm sure you know you and i both know people like this who put work above everything else and that's what he's doing and he's trying to make it the best for his job and for the students and athletes for which he coaches and trying to make the program as great as it can be. So from a sports perspective, good for him, good for his dedication, good for all of it. From a human perspective, this seems excessive. 
way too excessive, I feel like. And I'm not, you know, look, it's not for me to tell him how to do his job. I fi- it's funny with football coaches, like, it's just the, like, stereotype that they, you know, spend 20-hour days in the office and they sleep on the couch and they don't see their families during the season. And you just, you hear that all the time with these guys. Tony Dungy was one that did it. He was, like, open about, like, I'm a family guy, so, like, I'm going to do my job and I'm going to make sure to spend time with my family, which is, like, going against the grain in the NFL or in college. So, I, I don't know. I just saw this story and I'm like, good for exactly like you're saying good for the dedication but it seems like it's too much for me it is it's way too much and you know what else is too much an anniversary that occurred on july 1st only a couple days ago are you familiar with what i'm referring to i am very familiar with what you're referring to july 1st which i hope everyone should know is bobby bonilla day the day that the New York Mets pay a retired Bobby Bonilla, who's been retired, a little over $1 million every year because of how backloaded his contract was. Jared, thoughts on Bobby Bonilla Day? So I'm glad you brought this up, Bobby, because I'm about to rant against this. Now, I got to deal with this every single year, this stupid Bobby Bonilla Day. I woke up this past week with a text from you and countless others being, oh, happy Bobby Bonilla Day. Okay. I'm going to – I'm just going to – I mean, I just, it's so stupid. So I, I, I'm, I came with receipts, okay? I didn't just come here to rant. I came with receipts. Your, well, for, first, you know what? We'll start with the Atlanta Braves, okay? The Mets take all this crap for paying Bobby Bonilla all this money every year. The Atlanta Braves are still paying Bruce Suter $1 million a year in deferred payments through 2021. His, you, you want to take a guess when his deferred payment started? Boy, Bruce Suter, when did his deferred payment start? Uh. 86? 1985. Pretty good, Bobby. Okay? But I don't have to hear every year, happy Bruce Suter Day, you know? And now, you know what? <laughs> I, I came for you, too. The Orioles will pay Chris Davis. Chris Davis, a man you are very familiar with. $42 million in deferred money in 10 installments of three and a half annually, starting from July 2023 to July 2032. Now, Chris Davis has not been a productive player in what, five years? You're going to be paying him through 2032, okay? And I'm going to be sending you that text every single year. Happy Chris Davis Day, Bobby, okay? Now, now let me just take a step back and go, and I'm not even going to defend it from the Madoff perspective because there's, there's that whole thing, which I'm not going to get into. But let me just tell you, Bobby Bonilla, 2000, he was supposed to make $5.9 million dollars. The Mets release him to further payments so we get Bobby Bonilla Day. You know what the Mets did with that $5.9 million? They traded for Mike Hampton. Mike Hampton made $5.7 million that year. You know what Mike Hampton did for the Mets that year? Won the National League Championship Series MVP, bringing us to the World Series. Great. You know what happened after that year? Mike Hampton left the Mets as a free agent. You know what happened then? We got a comp pick. You know who we took with that comp pick? A third baseman you may have heard of, David Allen Wright. Okay, so Bobby Bonilla Day is a celebration for me. It's actually David Wright Day, and that's all I have to say about that. Oh man, that was great. How uh, how's David Wright's back doing? Ooh. That was a brutal. <laughs> I uh, let's you know what, man. I'm gonna let you have that one. We're gonna leave it there, and we can revisit this in 12 years with Chris Davis. Happy David Wright Day, Bobby. <laughs> anyway, let's move on. 
this is a story of a lot of interest to a lot of people, but you in particular. So we learned this week that FedEx, which is the sponsor of the team stadium, has asked the Washington Redskins to change their name. And shortly thereafter, we learned that Daniel Snyder and the team is actually considering it, right? They put out the statement saying they're going to review it. And from everything we're hearing, it sounds like it actually might happen. So what, as a Redskins fan, Bobby, what are your thoughts about this whole thing? This isn't a hard one. There are a lot of things in previous political climates, and especially in this political climate, that are really difficult. This isn't one of them. The name is offensive. Period. It may not be offensive to you. It may not be offensive to me. But it's just not a good look. And this isn't hard. Let's say you change the name to something way more progressive. I understand the business side of things. Like, you build a brand around this. I get it. I get it. I get it. But you could build a brand about around a brand new name and probably get people who have never even cared about a team like the Redskins to, like, buy their stuff in terms of, like, oh, this is such a great decision. It's a great social decision. Sure. I don't understand why he's so gung-ho. I don't understand why he's so stubborn. I don't understand why he's such a horrible owner of a sports franchise, arguably the worst. I don't get it. This is stupid. Good on FedEx for requesting that they change the name, especially since they're the label on the stadium, FedEx Field. Maybe finally, finally, we can just move on from this and focus on the thing that matters in sports, which is the game, football. So do you think it actually happens? Because we've had this before. This certainly isn't the first time that this has come up. And up until now, Dan Snyder has always been very steadfast in saying, like, this is the team name. This is going to be the team name. So just get over it. I think this is the time that it happens. I think it's a perfect storm. I think given the political climate and the sponsorship things. And here's the thing. He's not even going to change it because he thinks it's the right thing to do. He's not going to change it because he's caving from political pressure. He's going to change it because of the dollars and cents. That's it. It's sponsors. That's, and that's all it is. It's a business decision for him, which is, I, I mean, it's a win, sure, but like still comes out looking like a scumbag. Yeah, and it'll be funny to see, because if let's assume that this actually happens, because that seems to be the direction everyone thinks it's going to go. It'll be funny when they put that statement out and Dan Snyder said, you know what, I realize now that it's, it, it's the right thing to do and we should, we should change the name and, and not offend people and reflect the progressive nature of society when we'll all know that's total garbage because the guy's been denying that for years. But, hey, that's sports, right? Yeah, he completely lives in denial. And you know who else might live in denial? Cleveland fans. Bill Barnwell of ESPN recently wrote an article about Baker Mayfield saying what can be done about Baker Mayfield and how he can be fixed. And one of the questions that was kind of posed was, is, he, is it over for him? Is his, has his time come and passed? Has there been enough time for us to say he's a bust and Cleveland messed up again? Thoughts on Baker Mayfield's future and is he a bust? I think it's way too early to go that route. I mean, I get it. He was bad last year. The Browns were bad, mostly because Baker Mayfield was bad. And they had these really high expectations going into the season. Obviously, they had Jarvis Landry already. They Nick Chubb, but they obviously go out and get Odell Beckham Jr., who is a game breaker, one of the best wide receivers in the league. And everyone thinks, well, the Browns are, you know, going to be they're going to be good this year. Who knows how good, but they'll be good. And and that obviously didn't happen. And Baker Mayfield is deservedly so took a lot of took a lot of heat for that, given his offseason comments and, and his personality in general. But 
we are, are we forgetting that he was really good in his rookie year, right? Like the Browns were relevant in his rookie year. He showed a lot of promise and it wasn't just promise. He produced on the field. So I get it. He had a bad second year, but I, I think it's way too early to label him a bust. Do you, do you disagree? I think it's too early to label him as a bust. I not even close to ready to close the book on Baker Mayfield. With that being said, his rookie season, in my opinion, is overhyped. He was not bad. And he, I, I totally agree with you that he showed a lot of promise. But last year, there was so much hype coming into that season. And maybe that's part of the problem is that there was so much hype. But he had a lot of talent around him. It's not like he didn't have anybody. And he looked like garbage. And there was like maybe a flash or two of that promise from rookie from his, his, his rookie year. But nothing ever really materialized. And you can say, sure, sophomore slump. Sure. But if he comes into this year, expectations are high, again, just based off the talent they brought in. And he starts off and he goes two and four, three and six. At what point are the Browns going to say, maybe this isn't working anymore. Maybe we should have taken Saquon Barkley here. Yeah, I mean, this is definitely the year I think they're going to have to make that decision because you're right. They, they have... In terms of the skill position players, they have a lot of talent. Like we said, Chubb and Landry and Beckham, and they and they signed Austin Hooper this offseason. They still have Kareem Hunt. The thing last year that everyone pointed to the Baker Mayfield defenders was the offensive line. That the offensive line was bad. Well, this year they signed Jack Conklin in free agency. They drafted Jedrick Wills in the first round. They addressed that. So there are no more excuses this year. So if Baker comes out and craps the bed again like he did last year, I think it's definitely fair to to maybe label him bust and, and think the Browns have to move on. I'm not there yet. Lastly, we're going to close with something light. Bobby, did you see what happened to Jose Quintana this week? Did he hurt himself? Did I see that right? Not only did he hurt himself, he hurt himself washing dishes. Jose Quintana, starting pitcher for the Cubs, pretty good starter. Number two, number three starter. Lacerated his hand washing dishes. He had surgery. Don't know how long he's going to be out for yet. This, I guess you just add this to the list of the weirdest sports injuries of all time. Anything off the top of your head jump out, Bobby? I just, this is so ridiculous. We used to make fun of David Segui when I was younger, who was a first baseman for the Orioles for all the injuries that he had. And we were waiting, my brother and I would, I wait for it to come out that he was on the disabled list because of a hangnail. So he, this is like a David Segui kind of thing. Yeah, yeah. My personal one, I guess, is Johannes Cespedes breaking his ankle with the boar. Of course. Uh, last yeah. yeah, I mean, there's a bunch of these. But uh, Jose Quintana, rough week. Yeah, rough week for him. And why doesn't he have a dishwasher? He's a – I just – what? You know what? He is like us, the common man, Bobby. He wants to, wants to live like the common man. And I'm not going to criticize him for that. I guess something like that. We'll leave it there. But we'll be right back with some more Chatter Up. All right, everybody, welcome back to Chatter Up. This week, we have an exciting and fantastic guest, Jeremy Brown from Perfect Game. He is the national cross-checker in the scouting department for Perfect Game. Jeremy, how you doing, man? Just got back from being on the road watching baseball, finally off the couch, so I'm floating right now. That is fantastic. It's great to have baseball back, if in any level, no? No, absolutely. I'm going out this week for some 14 new stuff, and even that... That's kind of my bread and butter within the company, so I'm excited for it. Just to be back on the field is what it's all about for sure. That's super exciting. Well, thank you so much for coming on. So could you tell our audience a little bit about what Perfect Game does and the role they play? 
a perfect game does is basically gives a player of from all different age levels and groups and a platform to put their talents on display through showcases, through tournaments. I kind of describe it to people as we're the middleman between the players and the colleges and the players and the pro scouts. We put on the events, both sides come. We, we're just trying to provide an opportunity for the players to be seen and get to the next level of whichever level it may be for them within the baseball world. Jeremy, could you talk a little bit about your specific role at Perfect Game and what your day-to-day looks like? So me and a handful of others within the scouting staff side of things at Perfect Game, we go, we cover the showcases coast to coast. We cover all our tournaments. So we go to the field. First slot's usually 8 a.m. Last slot usually starts 9 p.m., 7 to 9 p.m. sometimes, depending on the tournament size. We're there all day. We watch. We talk to coaches. We talk to college coaches, travel ball coaches, pro scouts, gather all the info, write down our own notes and observations, do recaps every day. It's a showcase. We take notes on every player, kind of put them together, come up with a report at the end with the perfect game grade. And basically when we're at home, we're still working. We're either catching up on writing. We're constantly talking to coaches or scouts and compiling lists. We do all the draft lists. We have draft lists starting the current draft year and we go with three years out and accumulate the names for the freshman class so we're always looking three years out and the high school side of things we go down to we have a 13u festival and we're just always looking at the next generation of baseball so when you're trying to look at the next generation of baseball and the talent that comes in and trying to get the the best possible talent and the most possible exposure perfect games website talks about collaborating with major league baseball and college scouts. Could you talk a little bit about Perfect Game's role in those collaborations? Yeah, we're just talking to them, and it's almost like picking each other's brains to a degree. Like, hey, I saw this kid do this last week. What did you see? Or what do you think about offensively long-term? Do you think he can stay in the dirt? Do you think he's going to move to the outfield? And there's just constant back and forth of picking each other's brains and Trying to predict what a player is going to become, which is obviously easier said than done, but that's the end goal for sure. So how would someone come to participate in one of Perfect Games showcases? We have a showcase page on the website, and through that comes up the whole schedule. We have regional showcases coast to coast throughout the year. We just started within the last couple of years. We've implemented some 14 U level showcasing and 14 U kids signing up. Kind of gives them a baseline of stats. Then from there, we, uh, we watch everybody, see everybody. Then we go and select kids who are national invite-only level type showcases, like the one we just had down in Hoover, Alabama. And then you slowly, the whole process kind of begins. So Perfect Game's mission on the website says that they seek to promote the game of baseball. And many would argue that baseball's popularity has been decreasing over the last several decades. Sure. So how has Perfect Game fought to try and reverse that trend, and what are they doing moving forward? Obviously, one big thing is the national-level platforms at younger ages, getting players engaged, and hopefully throughout their, their careers and the different stages of the process that they keep coming back and we keep putting on a good product and keep them wanting more baseball. So we just had the 2020 MLB draft, albeit in a format that it was very different from what we're accustomed to. But I'm curious to know if there were any Perfect Game alumni that were drafted this year. Yeah, I want to say, I know we have an exact number, and I should probably know the exact number, but it's like 95% of the players drafted this year have 
had participated in a perfect game event throughout some point in their career. Obviously, that's a big number. And we've seen them, whether it was through a showcase or a tournament or both, or they were one of our All-Americans. It's impressive the amount of talent that comes through. And at the end of the day, how much of it, how much of them end up getting drafted where they get drafted. Could you talk about any of the primetime players that have come through Perfect Game? Spencer Torkelson will just start right at the top, who just set the record for the number one slot money. At. Wow. Like, he came to a national showcase, and you, you go back and look at the notes, and you're like, all right, he's going to be a really good player. He has legitimate power. How's it going to play? And then clearly he's shown us that it's going to play, and it's going to play at a big level. He's won. Austin Martin came through all different types of stops, actually, but it was during the Jupiter, our WWBA World Championships in October, that he really put his name on the map. Kind of, he was kind, he was uncommitted at the time, recently opened up, I think, from Jacksonville commitment. And then after that showing, I know Vanderbilt locked them up, and pretty much the rest there is history. Wow, that's crazy. Spencer Torkelson, the number one overall draft pick this year. Austin Martin went five to the Blue Jays. That's, that's some high-caliber talent right there. Oh, yeah. And so I'm looking at it now. Let's see the PG draft stats. 36 of the first 37 picks on the opening night came to a perfect game event, and 20 wow. of those 37 played in our PG National Showcase. That is an incredible pool of talent. <laughs> so I was close with the 95. It was 93% of all players drafted played in a PG event, 149 out of 160. That's incredible. Yeah, wow. That's, that's Yeah, that's pretty much everyone. So, yeah, yeah wow. You're always uh, going to get those couple that kind of stay close to home or don't necessarily do the national scene, and it is what it is, but uh, I think everyone's got to be pretty content within the company with a number like that. We probably should have asked you this earlier on, Jeremy, but could you talk a little bit about your background and how you got into this and how someone who wants to do what you do for a living could get to that point? Yeah, I played my first two years at a, a college, just at a little D3 school close to home, and thought, why not just play baseball longer if I can prolong it? That, I mean, that was obviously going to be it. Transferred after two years, went to a four-year school out here, UMass Amherst, where I graduated from. Got an internship, summer job with Perfect Game. Kind of did the scouting slash, like, scorekeeping type feel we do behind every plate of during the tournament. And then just stayed engaged with it, always looking for the next player, I guess. Really, it started then. My first event was a 14U. It was 15U, but there was a lot of young kids. That's what was fascinating was, all right, who's next? I want to be the one to see who's next. I don't want people to tell me who's good. I want to be able to find them and tell people who's good. I saw Brendan Rodgers playing with the Orlando Scorpions. Obviously, he went on to be, I think, the third, second or third overall pick. And from there, it kind of just snowballed into a full-time job, and you're still always learning. There's, you can not, you'll never not know everything when it comes to baseball or scouting. Somebody's always got a different perspective or – different thought on something and always learning and evolving and honing in on the craft. That is great advice. I know watching baseball for a living is, in my opinion, the dream job. So I am highly jealous of what you got going on. Before we let you go, could you tell our audience where else they can find you and Perfect Game and what you guys got going on? You can look at me up on Twitter. It's at jbrownpg. Same with at perfectgameusa. Perfectgame.org. We're constantly rolling out content every day or from around the country. We've had scout notes come out from our staff from Georgia, Florida, Iowa, Texas, and Alabama pretty much daily for the last week. Those tournaments start up again. I'm flying out to Alabama next week. And there's always something new on the site. There's always a handful of uh, scouting notes, whether it be 
14U, 17U, want to know who your favorite college is recruiting. Hope we can provide it and uh, just always trying to keep the audience engaged. Thanks so much for your time, Jeremy. We really appreciate it and look forward to seeing how much Perfect Game will grow and the next crop of talent that's coming up. I appreciate you guys having me. Thanks a lot. Thanks a lot, Jeremy. Take care. All right, welcome back, everybody. Right now, we are going to dive right back into our trivia segment. I already redeemed myself from the week before, and this week, I make myself look amazing. Jared, that's right, right? Let's see if you can take that next step. I'm ready, and we are back with the quiz master, Jeremy Tuck. Jeremy, how's it going? It's going well, guys. How about you? I'm, I'm great. I'm ready. I'm, well, I'm stoked. Let's do it. Let's just get right to it. All right, guys. The last couple of weeks may have been not so great results in terms of the score, but this week, y'all are on even footing. And I'll tell you why, because you're now on my turf, and my turf is frozen. That's right, boys. We're doing a hockey quiz. Oh, okay. <laughs> okay. I mean, it's it, going to be definitely even footing. Yeah. Um, so it's going to be simple. Uh, I'm going to give you a team and the year that they first came in and a number. And you're going to tell me if they won more or less Stanley Cups than that number. Okay. Oh, nice boy. and simple. Okay. okay. All right. All right, so we'll start with an easy one. Uh, let's start with the um, Anaheim Mighty Ducks, or the Anaheim Ducks. They, uh, their first year was 1992. Have they won more or less than 0.5 Stanley Cups? What do you guys think? I'm going to go under. I, I remember them being in one. I think they may have lost to your New Jersey Devils. Uh, so I'm going to go under. I also, mm, yeah, okay. Uh I'll, I'll, I'll take the under on this one as well. All right, Jared, you were right. They did lose to my Devils, but they also won in 2007 against Ottawa. So the correct answer is over. So both of you do not score a point. Uh, okay, <laughs> okay, all right. Starting off well. All right, so nice segue. Let's go to my New Jersey Devils. First year in 1974, over under two and a half. What do you guys say? Over under two and a half Stanley Cubs. I'm going to take the under on this one as well. I'm going to go over. I feel like three. I feel like they got at least three when I was like a young kid. The correct answer is three. They have, they're over. So, Jared, I like you. Bobby, where's the, where's the love? I'm trying, man. I'm trying. I'm, I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to earn the respect. Here it comes. Starting. Here we go. Let's go. All right, Bobby, let's go with your guys. The Washington Capitals. 1974 as well. Uh, let's go over under one and a half. What do you guys say? One and a half. So, basically, the question is, have they won multiple Stanley Cups? Right. Um, I'm going to say, yes, they have. I'll take the over. I was also going to take the over as well. I think I think it's I think it's two. I think because they, they recently just won, but I think they won right. one more before that. I'll take the over. The correct answer is one. <laughs> oh, my goodness. <laughs> they were really, really bad in the beginning of their uh, existence. Look it up. It's It was miserable. They only won eight win eight games in their first season. I feel like they made the Stanley Cup maybe in like 2000? 1998. 98. Okay, pretty good. Yeah, I mean, I knew they won a couple of years ago. I didn't remember hearing anything about it being their first, so I figured, all right, maybe they won one once more. Mm -hmm. it, mm -hmm. it was definitely their first. How about, because 
right now the NHL is, of course, uh, they've announced their hub cities. So let's visit both of those hub cities. Uh, the first one being Edmonton, Alberta, for their tournament. Uh, Edmonton Oilers started in 1979. Have they won over or under four and a half Stanley Cups? Edmonton. I don't think they've won more than four and a half. I'm taking the under. Four and a half. That's a good one. I mean, I know they won a bunch in the 80s. Um, I'm going to say over because I got my one point cushion here. Actually, Jared, you're right. Bobby, have you ever heard of Wayne Gretzky? Very familiar with the man. All right, five Stanley Cups in the 80s. Oh, my God. Yeah, you can't can't doubt Gretzky. All right, and the other hub city for the uh, tournament is Toronto, Ontario, Canada. They've been around since 1917, the first year of the NHL. Over under 12 and a half. So I know they haven't won in a while. It's like the 60s, right? The last time they won one? I will not say until after. You're not going to tell me. No, I'm not. You guys are on your own here. But... They've been around a long time when the league was only a few teams. I have to think they won a bunch early on, so I'm going to go over. I, mm, 12 and a half, man. That's a lot. And, 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 and I'm with you. They haven't won recently. Okay. All right. I'll take the under. That's fine. I'm taking the under. Uh, point to Jared. It's 13. Uh, what's going on? <laughs> they have not won since 1967. Uh, but And most hockey fans will tell you that, except for those in Toronto. Well, I'm All going right. to Vegas after we finish this. I don't think I've gotten one right yet, but this is where <laughs> it starts. You have not. All right, so why don't we go with the um, Pittsburgh Penguins. 1967, over under four and a half. Okay. Pittsburgh Penguins, over under four and a half. Yep. I'm taking the over. They've won more than four and a half Stanley Cups. Uh, I, I'm pretty sure they won two in like the Lemieux years and I'm gonna say I'm gonna say they've only won two with Sidney Crosby so I'll go under uh point for Bobby there it is. they won three with Crosby including two in a row about five years ago and you were correct they won two with Lemieux and Yager I'll take my half point there <laughs> how about the Jared's hometown team the New York Islanders they, were, they uh, came around 1972. Let's go over under two and a half. Two and a half Stanley Cups. I don't think they won two and a half, even though I know this is your hometown team. I'll take the under on this one. I know this is an over because I know they won four in a row. Uh, okay. All right. <laughs> Jared's right. They did win four in a row. Uh, why don't we finish up the New York area? The New York Hockey Rangers, born in 1926, over under five and a half. I know... I know they had gone a while until they, they won their most recent one in 94. Well, the number was five and a half? Five and a half. I'm going to take the under. I feel like I read, and this is just, I'm scratching at anything here. <laughs> I feel like I read that it was six somewhere. So I'm, I'll, I'm just going to be different here. I need the points. I'm taking the over. Correct answer is four. <laughs> <laughs> they won a few very early on. Nobody remembers it. And everyone remembers 1940 and 94. Right. So the, that, that's all they got. Um, why don't we move on to a newer team, the St. Louis Blues, 1967, over under two and a half. Okay, two and a half. I know they won. I forget if it was last year or two years ago. They just won one. Yeah, I think it was last year because they were like one of the worst teams 
midway through the year. Right, 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 right. I think that may have been their first, so I'm going to go under. I was also going to go under. I'll take the under on that. It was their first. All You're right. correct. Point for Bobby. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Um, let's go with the uh, Buffalo Sabres. 1970, over under one and a half. Ooh, Buffalo Sabres. They recently were, like in the last like decade, I think they were pretty competitive, but I don't. they never won. I'm going to take the under, the under one and a half. I think I'm going to go that route, too. I remember them being in one. Tuck, you'll tell me. I think they may have, was it Dallas that they lost to? I don't know. But I don't think they've ever won one, so I'll take the under, too. Very good memory, Jared. 1999, the uh, Brett Hulse skate in the crease goal. Mm-hmm. Um, the correct answer is, of course, they have not won yet. They're at zero. Uh, right. So you're both right. All right, so why don't we end it up with the king of all hockey teams, Montreal Canadiens. Born in 1909, before the NHL, are they over or under 21 and a half? Wow. Okay, that's a lot. I know they have the most of anyone. 21 and a half, that seems like a lot. Uh, I'm going to show, I'm going to give some respect to Montreal, and I'm going to give that, I'm going to say it's over. I wouldn't even know where to start on this. 21 and a half? I mean, can you, I just, that, I know they want a bunch as well. Over 21 and a half? I'll, I'll take the under on this one. We'll finish it off with us being different. I'll take the under. All right. Uh, the correct answer is 24. Okay. All right. So, <laughs> Just obliterated again week after yeah. week. What is happening? Uh, the I final score even... is 8-3, to three, Jared. Oh. I, I can't even take much credit for this because it was a lot of guessing. A yeah, lot it of... was a lot of guessing. That but... was brutal. Well, I'm going to go sit in my shame and wallow in my pile of sorrow, Jared. You can take your victory to the bank again, I guess. Uh, I Got- will do that, and I'm also going to give Tuck a shameless plug here for his hockey blog, uh, firstlinebro.com. Oh, yeah. So if you're into this quiz, if you're into hockey history, that's definitely something you should check out. Yeah, basically what I do is I try and tell the his story and the history of the NHL through the eyes of a modern blogger. Thanks, Jared, for that. I know this quiz was a little difficult for you guys, but I wanted to just have some fun, give you guys something that neither of you were particularly good at, and uh, it worked. So thank you guys for just having some fun with me this week. That sounds good. Thanks a lot, man. All right. Be well, guys. Welcome back, everyone. Bobby, we're going to go back to the well on something we tried last week. Would you rather? You ready for this? I'm always ready for would you rathers. Love a great would you rather. So the would you rather we're going to do this week is, Bobby, would you rather be an immortal player in your sport, a Hall of Famer, but never win a championship? Let's say someone like Charles Barkley. Or... Would you rather be an accomplished role player who's won multiple championships, a.k.a. Big Shot Bob, Robert Ory? Let's just call it the Charles Barkley versus Robert Ory question. Where do you stand on this, Bobby? So this is a great one, and I think it's one that a lot of people have spoken about before. And, and, I, and I'll give you my quick take on it. Do you know how many championships Robert Ory won? I think it's like six or seven. Yeah, it's seven. he won seven championships, okay? This guy's never going to be confused for the best player ever. I think you and I both remember the shot he had with the Lakers in the finals. He wants up shooting, and he makes it. 
Lakers win. Cool. So the question is like, what do you want out of sports if you're an athlete? Are you trying to win or are you trying to be famous? And if you can only be one. And the thing is, Robert Ori probably made many millions of dollars. He's probably just fine. And we're talking about him on this podcast. Was he ever the best? No. Is he ever the guy you're going to draft first? No. Or even the first round? Probably not. But he's a winner. He won seven championships. So would I rather be him or Charles Barkley? That's a really tough call because it's so easy for me to say, I'd rather be Charles Barkley. He was famous. He had the better career. But Charles Barkley never won. And Robert Ory did. And in sports, at the end of the day, you want to win. So I'm, I'm going with being Robert Ory. Wow. Robert Ory, really an incredible career. It's incredible to think that he has more rings than Michael Jordan, who's thought of as like the ultimate winner in sports. And obviously in different capacities, Jordan is, was the guy. Robert Ory was a good role player. He did win in three different teams, which, which shows you that I don't think it was just luck. He did play a big part in those. But I'm going to take the other side of the coin here. You're right. Winning is the ultimate goal to win a championship. When, when athletes come to whatever version of spring training or training camp, whatever it is in their sport, the first thing they always say is like, my goal is to win a championship this year, right? No one comes in saying my goal is to win the MVP this year. Because if they do, people immediately jump on them like, whoa, your goal is to win the MVP. What about the rest of your team? What about your team's success? But Charles Barkley it's not just Charles Barkley, like we said. He's, he's the fill-in-the-blank here for any immortal Hall of Famer that's never won a championship in their sport. Charles Barkley's a legend. Charles Barkley is always going to be known as one of the best to ever do it, something that, that Robert Ory will not be. And you're right, you know, it's about 20 years after Robert, or not 20, 15 years after Robert Ory's career now, and we're still talking about him. How much longer does that go in terms of the casual NBA fan? Is the casual fan going to know who Robert Ory is 20 years from now? Probably not. You know, if you're a real basketball junkie, you will. But the casual fan is still going to know, I think, about Charles Barkley. Not just because he's on TV, but because if you're into basketball and you look at the record books, you're going to see like, wow, Charles Barkley, he won an MVP, took his team to the finals. He was widely regarded as one of, during his prime, the two or three best players in the league. And that's just not something you're ever going to say about Robert Ory. So conversely to what you said, it's, it's easy for me to say Robert Ory because it's all about winning and Robert Ory was a winner. But like I said, I think deep down in their hearts, athletes want to be remembered. They want to be thought of as the, one of the best to ever do it. They want people to talk about them years later and say like, I saw Charles Barkley play. And no one's ever going to do that with Robert Ory. They're not going to do it with Robert Ory. But we're still talking about the guy because he won seven championships. Now, granted, if he had won three, that would still be a great career. But I think we'd be having a different conversation. To win seven times, seven championships, at a certain point, you're just like, this is no longer luck. This guy plays an integral role in winning a championship. And Charles Barkley has a reputation of being great, but also has a reputation of being a loser. The dude lost constantly. And so Robert Ory didn't. And like, win or loser. Do you want to be known as a loser? Or you want to be known as a winner. I want to be known as a winner, Jared. <laughs> wow, when you put it like that, it's tough. Yeah, I mean, look, I get it. Robert Ory, he's he's big shot Bob for a reason, right? He was not just a passenger on those seven championship teams. Like you're you're right, he played a big part of it. But I think Charles Barkley, to me, it's just Charles Barkley's a legend. The guy is just going to be remembered 
for years on end. I, I think as the years pass, you're not going to think of him as a loser. You're going to think of him as one of the best to ever do it. And so it's easy to just say it's this binary thing, winner or loser. I don't think that's fair to call Charles Barkley a loser. And he won a gold medal, so I'll give him that. Jared, you're great. I'm really glad we do this podcast together and you're the best co-host I could ever ask for. And you're really wrong. So, I will stick to my guns. You stick to yours. We'll let the fans decide. Legend. I'm going to be a legend, all right? Yeah. Okay. All right. We'll, we'll find out. Until then, we'll be right back with some more excellent content for Chatter. So, Jared, as we all know, sports history, ton of memorable moments, and each week we go back and we take a look at some of the most memorable moments in sports history of that week. What do you got for me this week? This week we're going to focus on a local one, Bobby. It was 2004. It was Yankees-Red Sox. It was July 1st. Yankees-Red Sox, any time of the year is heated. But this was the famous game in which Derek Jeter makes the running catch into the stands, right? So it was like a pop-up down the left field line, runs towards the stands uh, behind third base, makes the catch, goes tumbling into the stands, comes out with scratches all over his face, but most importantly made the catch. And this has played a part in the iconic image building that Derek Jeter has been a part of. When you talk Derek Jeter, this is one of the plays. This, the flip play, the Jeffrey Meyer home run. Sorry to bring that one up. But, I mean, there's no doubt, there's no debating it. Derek Jeter is one of the most iconic players in the history of baseball. But the question that I have for you is, is it deserving? Nope. (laughs) All right, Let's, let's do it. Let's bash Derek Jeter. Absolutely. I mean, this is a great opportunity for you and I to do this. Here's the thing. Derek Jeter, if you guys haven't seen the play, I'm sure everybody's seen it. But if you haven't seen it, he, he winds up running into the stands. So a pop-up hit out in the shallow left field and on the foul line. He winds up making a great running catch. It's a great catch. It's a great catch. But here's the thing. Nobody remembers that catch if he doesn't dive into the stands. And I'm here to make the case that he didn't need to dive into the stands. Okay. okay. If you watch the play, he could have easily done 101 other things. He dove into the stands. I don't think he intentionally cut himself and try, tried to hurt himself, but it made it look a lot better. <laughs> you know, and like, come on. Or like the flip play, right? Like where he, he had no business being on that side of the field. Like that wasn't even a good baseball play. He just happened to be at the right place at the right time. Does that make you a good baseball player? No, that makes you lucky and stupid. Probably stupid and then lucky. Like, look, Derek Jeter's iconic. Derek Jeter was a great player. He's probably one of the best shortstops ever. He's not as good as Cal Ripken. Well, let's, let's dig in here. Is, is Derek Jeter, in your mind, the most or one of the most overrated players ever? It's funny. You, you know, Sports Illustrated used to do that poll every year. And every year it seemed like Derek Jeter would come out as like, and this was voted on by the players, as like the most if, or one of the most overrated guys in the league. And it's like weird to hear that coming from other players because as fans, you know, even as fans of teams that, that were not the Yankees and so we hated Derek Jeter, we still had like so much respect for Derek Jeter, right? The guy we were just talking about, Robert Ory, 
Derek Jeter's a winner. He won like all these championships. He's known as like coming through in all these clutch moments. And yet you have these players voting him as like one of the most overrated players ever. So do you think, is, is it fair to say Jeter is one of, or the most overrated, let's just boil it down to shortstops in baseball history. I mean, he's known way more for his offense than for his defense. Okay. He ranks 77th all time on batting average. Which is your top 100 all time? You're a good player, but like he wasn't that great. Sure, yes, he's like sixth all time in the hits list. No matter how many seasons you play, you play forever. If you're sixth on that kind of list, you're you're a good player. But a great player. You're a great player. Sure. I'm trying to limit my compliments here. Mm-hmm. From 2003 to 2014, top five list of players who cost their teams the most runs on defense. Number five, Dan Ugla, 66. Brutal second baseman. Number four, Unieski Betancourt, also 66. Number three, Hanley Ramirez, 73. <laughs> Number two, Prince Fielder at 95. I like where this is going. I'm going to repeat that. Prince Fielder, 95. And number one, Derek Jeter. At 152. Wow, 152. So he's 60 ahead of number two. Of Prince Fielder. Prince Fielder. Like, <laughs> the dude could hit. I'm not going to say he couldn't hit. And he's probably one of the best hitters of all time. But defensively, he was horrid. Just atrocious. And that has to be considered here. And I know then the argument is like, well, what about DHs? You know, what about a guy like Harold Baines? I don't think Harold Baines should have made him the Hall of Fame. I think that's ridiculous. Now, he did win multiple gold gloves, right? I guess that says more about like how stupid the gold glove voting process is because you're right. Like as the advanced stats became more popular, people start to realize like, wow, Derek Jeter is actually not really a good defensive shortstop. He was probably, not even probably, definitively the second best shortstop on his own team, right? Because A-Rod was the, when A-Rod was traded to the Yankees, he was the better shortstop in terms of not just hitting, but a much better defender than, than Derek Jeter. Really, if, and I, look, I, I just love to take the bat to just Derek Jeter's legacy here. So if Derek Jeter was a true team guy, he would have moved to third base, right? Like it was not up for debate. A-Rod was the better shortstop. So, the reason Jeter would, would want to play shortstop is just because being the shortstop for the New York Yankees is one of the most prestigious positions in all of sports. Absolutely. And you use the word, he wasn't good defensively. Let's be clear. He was bad. Really, really bad. <laughs> and so, is he overrated is the question. If he doesn't play for the New York Yankees, let's say he played for... I don't know, Atlanta. Or let's say he played for even a smaller market team. Let's say he played for, like, Tampa Bay. You think this guy's remembered as one of the greatest ever? Well, a lot of it has to do with the postseason, right? Because Derek Jeter just has a lot of these postseason moments, like we talked about, the home run against the Orioles, the home run against the the Mr. November, home run against the Diamondbacks. He won the World Series MVP in 2000 against the Mets. The flip play, there's just so much of it is made on the fact that, look, you can't argue. The guy delivered in the biggest moments. Now, 
he was part of the reason that he was in all those moments was not just because he was a great player, but because he happened to be on a really great team and he, and he wouldn't have had those opportunities if he played for, you're right, if he played for the Rays or if he played for the Pirates or the Royals. And so, yeah, he wouldn't have been remembered the same way. There's no question about that. Is he a first ballot Hall of Famer? I don't know. But, you know, we talked about this a little before. When you go back, when you look at baseball history, and like I said, I would love to, I would love to be able to make the case that Jeter is not one of the best shortstops of all time. But it's just not – there's not that many options. Like, if we're, I'm, I'm taking Honus Wagner out of the conversation because he played 100 years ago. And so really the only guy that you can make the argument for is Calrickin Jr., your guy, because Aaron was the, was better than Jeter, but he, he only played it for, you know, he didn't play shortstop for, he played third for most of his career and you have the steroid stuff. Cal's the only guy that you make the case for, right? Absolutely. I mean, I mean, look, sure. Honus Wagner, whatever. Yeah. People are gonna say, you're right. You're right. But like, whatever you move to third, you want to talk about Ernie Banks. There's an argument to be made there, but yeah. Is this, is this then saying that, like, shortstop has been a traditionally shallow position? I can't. I think back to guys like Nomar Garciaparra and, like, the era of shortstops when that was a mm-hmm. huge thing, you know? But Garciaparra didn't play long enough or wasn't good long enough to ever be in that kind of conversation. Is it that shallow of a position that a guy like Derek Jeter, who, again, I'm not just trying to bash him. He was a great player. But is he this iconic legend and 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 another thing i'm just gonna add on here really quick his image is also a thing that really helped he like never said anything wrong he always said the right thing he was a pretty boy sure he's he's top five greatest shortstops of all time and as high as number two okay are we considering defense here because if we are then he's like bottom 1000 Wow. I mean, I just don't know. Look, like I said, I would love to be able to do that. I just, who you put, there's just not enough guys to make the case for. Like for so long, the shortstop position was, it was all about the glove and you didn't have to hit at all. Nobody cared if you were a good hitter, like Ozzie Smith and and Omar Vizquel. These guys were competent hitters, but they made their bones by being the best defenders, the best fielding shortstops probably of all time. And then when Jeter came up, you're right, like as part of that group with A-Rod and Nomar Garcia-Para, that was like the first boom of like, wow, these guys are, these are shortstops, but they can actually hit. They're like, these guys can be middle of the order bats. And we're, we're, we're kind of in that second phase right now because you have so many, the Javi Baez and Francisco Lindor and Trevor Story you have all these shortstops now that are middle of the order bats. But for so long, it wasn't that way. It just wasn't a position looked at, you know, it, it wasn't a position that was thought of to be an offensive position. And so when you look at the numbers, I just don't see any way you could not have Jeter in your top three. Yeah. And, and, and it's, it's strictly offensive and he's, listen, he's a human highlight reel to your point, but that is it, right? Like he had these great moments and a ton of great moments, but like if he had three ridiculous moments a season, three ridiculous plays, like just like otherworldly, you play 162 game season. You look at him the rest of the time, and he's just not—he's not that good. I, I and and listen, let's get real here. I'm biased. I'm an Orioles <laughs> fan. I hope so much, but I just—I remember when he retired, and they did the whole legend thing with the number two. And then I remember when the Orioles had Ryan Flaherty, who was a utility man, and he left, and we did legend with the number three just to make fun of Derek <laughs> Jeter. Look, 
Ozzie Smith won 13 gold gloves, and he was a career 262 hitter, and he's in the Hall of Fame. How much value are we putting on defense or how much value are we putting on offense? Don't get me wrong. Jeter belongs in the Hall of Fame. He's one of the greatest ever. Do I think he's overrated? Yeah. The dude is not this un- otherworldly, unbelievable player. He was good. He was a good player, and he deserves to be in the Hall of Fame. And that's it. Cal Ripken is better than him. I hope you're ready for the hate, Bobby. The Yankee fans are going to come after you because you you're not relenting on this at all. You're, you're giving the minimal credit necessary to Derek Jeter, and I think you're going to pay a price for it. Slightly above average. You heard it here first. Derek Jeter, slightly above average, not a team player. Unbelievable. <laughs> Jared, J-Man, co-host of co-hosts, monster among men. That is all the time we have for this week. Another episode in the books, Bobby. A special one. We are now officially double-digit episodes old. Ten down. 100,000 to come. It's going to be exciting. (laughs) And as we embark on that journey, we will continue it next week with another round of What Did I Miss? Some more absolutely ridiculous but fantastic fun and games. I will redeem myself in some fashion. I promise this is going to be the week. It's going to happen one of these weeks. It's going to happen. It has to. That's just fate and destiny. We'll do another round of This Week in Sports History and hit a whole lot more. And we'll be one week closer to sports. Episode 11 promises to be the best Chatter Up episode yet. You heard it here first. Anyway, thanks guys again for listening. Please, if you haven't already done so, I'm sure you all have, but for the one or two of you that haven't yet, Give us a subscription wherever you listen to this podcast, whether it's on Apple Podcasts or Spotify or Stitcher, whatever it is, please give us a subscription and a rating and review. It really would help us a lot. We appreciate it. You can find us on Twitter at chatter underscore up. Find us on Instagram, same handle at chatter underscore up. Check out both of those accounts. We post a lot of great stuff during the week, some polls, some interesting stuff that I think you'll enjoy. We want to thank Jeremy Brown for coming on with us this week, giving us a few minutes of his time. He really enjoyed it. Thanks again to the Quizmaster Jeremy Tuck for putting together this week's trivia. And finally, if you have any feedback for us at all, good, bad, indifferent, whatever it is, send us an email at chatteruppodcast at gmail.com. Unless it's about Derek Jeter, and then don't bother me. Yeah, every, get on Bobby this week. Hit us up on Twitter. Just destroy me, Yankee fans. Absolutely ridiculous. But with that... We'll see you all next week on the next Chatter Up.